This is a podcast from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Eden Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. the Lord's Prayer, we're taking a little bit each time and we're just having a look at that, um, what it means to us, but when we pray this prayer, it can have a real significant, powerful meaning. Sometimes it's easy just to pray it on, on like a rote, as it were, but um, to think about what each bit means is really important. So let's have a look at this. Um, in chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're just going to look at one line uh, in that today, and that's your kingdom come. I want us to focus on that particular line. It's not, as one author I read um, said, a useless passage. He said, the end of the world's going to happen, so what's the point of, um, you know, praying it that Jesus is going to come back anyway? I don't think, kind of, that's what it's just talking about, about the kingdom of um, heaven, kingdom of God, coming again at some point in the future. So what is a kingdom? Well, a kingdom is like an area of activity, isn't it? A kingdom is a sphere, this is a dictionary definition, a sphere in which one thing is dominant in. Okay, our kingdoms that we find ourselves in are our places of influence, a place where we're free to make our own choices. And we've been given these areas ever since childhood. I mean, parents will know that the quicker that you can give a child a kind of an area of perhaps responsibility or something, the quicker they can learn integrity, commitment, responsibility to that particular area, maybe. I remember when I was 13 years old, and my my parents uh, offered me... um, the, the lovely gift of having a bedroom built on the side of the house. You see, I've always shared a bedroom with my two sisters, and then it was just with my one sister, and um, that was gradually getting a little bit tense. And so they said, would you like your own uh, bedroom built? And I said, oh, yes, please, that would be lovely. Thank you. And I remember them saying to me, but, you know, we're only going to build if, if it remains tidy, if it remains clean. And I remember that was the um, slippery slope of breaking promises. Uh, at the beginning of my young life Uh, and I said yes of course of course I will and um, by having my kingdom I thought yes brilliant I've got my own kingdom I've got my own sphere where I am the dominant one in that place and I was so excited about getting my own bedroom and um, as much as my parents tried to teach me responsibility of looking after my things I always preferred a messy kingdom and uh, it was always a mess but I think that's part of being a teenager isn't it having a messy bedroom but you know we have these areas of our lives where we have um, kind of like our kingdoms really our places of influence our places where we can be in Psalm 45 verse 6 it says your throne O God will last forever and ever a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom God has an area of activity God has a kingdom 
And right at the beginning, in Genesis, we see that mankind is invited into that kingdom of God to reign with him in partnership right from the outset. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. But things go wrong. We weren't perfect. Mankind messed up. And we kind of got a distance from that kingdom of God. So the end result is that we now live on earth here in this kingdom that is sometimes painful, that is hard work, that is a lot of sweat and toil for sometimes little return. And it's said in Genesis 3, Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. And that's become our kingdom here as we are on earth. One of sweat, one of hard work, one of toil at times. So we have this beginning in Genesis, this, this beginning of the kingdom, and then the prophets begin to speak of a new coming kingdom of God throughout the Old Testament. We have Isaiah who spoke of a righteous kingdom and then right at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi uh, he speaks of a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of healing. Brilliant. And then for 400 years, there's no message, there's no revelation anymore between the end in, in Malachi and then the, the New Testament. So nothing's being said in that 400 years. And then on comes John the Baptist, onto the scene comes John the Baptist. And he starts to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's touchable, it's reachable, it's attainable. And Jesus picks up this theme as he begins to teach. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. As you go, he said to the disciples, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then in Luke 10, it said, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against, against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus begins to preach this message. Not that the kingdom of God is near, as in sometime soon Jesus is going to return and the kingdom of God of heaven is near to coming again. Not that kind of time distance, that near, but near at hand. It's for us to reach out right now where we are to grab hold of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew it said this, Jesus says, If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, the kingdom of God can come upon us now, today. The invitation is for us. The kingdom of God is for us to overshadow our kingdom. The kingdom of God is there through partnership and through Jesus to come upon our place, our kingdom, our situation, the place we find ourselves in. So let your kingdom come, I think, when we pray, is a prayer for those of us who are finding that our kingdom is really one of sweat, one of toil, one of pain, maybe heartache, much effort, maybe little return. The kingdom of God is near. And I think that's the first aspect 
and what it means to pray your kingdom come it means God's kingdom can come into our kingdom when everything that is happening in our kingdom when everything is happening here is hard when everything is painful when things are difficult God's kingdom can come to us it can come to us to comfort us to protect us to care for us to provide for us to strengthen us in those difficult times when our kingdom is maybe really difficult acknowledging that we can't but that God can And the Bible is just full of examples of people who just cried out to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, will you meet my need? Will God, will your kingdom come into my life, into my situation right now? And we're going to look at some of those um, examples where people just needed a touch of the kingdom of God. We have the, um, the woman who is uh, bleeding, that story, and she reaches out to God. We find it in Mark chapter 5, and she reaches out, and you, hopefully you'll know that story. Where there's this massive crowd, and Jesus is walking by, and this woman is bleeding, and, and she, she thinks, if I can just reach out and just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And she does so. She reaches out, she touches the hem of his garment, and immediately the bleeding stops. Jesus turns around and says to her, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman's kingdom is full of struggle and it's full of pain and probably at that time full of disgrace and full of shame as well. And the kingdom of God comes to her and heals her and restores her and overshadows her kingdom. Then we have uh, the story of Jairus who comes to Jesus. He pleads with Jesus for his daughter who's dying. A situation of hopelessness. And Jesus goes with him and, and goes to the daughter, takes her by the hand and she stands up. The kingdom of God comes and meets the need of the daughter. There's the man who is uh, deaf and mute. He comes to Jesus. He's brought to Jesus in Mark chapter 7. And he's completely, I'm sure, probably disillusioned with these impairments. And Jesus comes and he puts his fingers in, in the ears. He touches the man's mouth and he can hear and he can talk. The kingdom of God comes into his situation. We have the man with leprosy, Mark chapter 1. He comes to Jesus. He begs on his knees, if you were willing, Jesus, you can make me clean, if you were willing. And his kingdom is one of sickness, one of isolation. Jesus turns and says, I'm willing, be clean. What about that wonderful passage in Matthew 11? I love this passage. I look at it often. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. For those of us whose kingdoms are worn out, burnt out, stressed out, burdened, full of anxiety, God says, let my kingdom come into your kingdom. I will be the one to give you rest. I will be the one to take your burdens, to take your worries. I will give you peace. For the man who has a son who's demon-possessed, and he comes to Jesus, the boy's kingdom, full of hurt, confusion, upset. And Jesus commands the spirit to leave, and the spirit does. God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on my hurt. God, let your kingdom come on my pain. God, let your kingdom come in my confusion. Then there's a woman who's caught in adultery. John chapter 8, this woman's caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. She's dragged before Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus to condemn her, but Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Her kingdom, one of shame, one of guilt, one of disgrace, one of sinfulness, standing there before Jesus. And what does he say? No, I'm going to bring the kingdom of God into your life. I'm going to bring the kingdom of God, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace of God into your life. I don't condemn you. There's Peter. 
gets out of the boat says, Jesus, if that's really you on the water, tell me to come out. Come out, Peter. Peter gets out of the boat, walking towards Jesus, suddenly begins to panic and sinks. I wonder whether our kingdoms are ever full of panic or ever full of doubt or ever full of lack of confidence. But the kingdom of God moves in straight away, picks Peter up immediately. I'll give you security. I'll give you confidence. I'll give you protection. Jesus reaches out to him. So many examples. I chose just a few out of so many. But within our kingdom of struggle, of pain, of sickness, perhaps mourning, disillusionment, weariness, disgrace, sin, shame, I don't know, whatever's going on, God comes along and he brings his kingdom into our lives. Each example, Jesus reaches out and says, I'm willing. Every time Jesus says, I'm willing. Every time Jesus says, yes. And we can pray, God, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on my pathetic kingdom. Come and restore me. Come and heal me. Come and forgive me. Whatever it is, there's no kingdom that God will not move upon. There's no sin to immense. There's no shame or guilt too weighty. There's no pain too great or struggle too insignificant. No burden too heavy. No problem too powerful for us to cry out to God and say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. I don't know what your kingdom looks like today. What does your kingdom look like? Are you, can you identify with those people in the Bible that we looked at? Jesus said, pray this. Lord, let your kingdom come. Jesus never ignored people when they cried out. Throughout the Bible it says um, people cried out to God. They said, Lord, have mercy. Lord, if you're willing. Son of David, have mercy. Lord, save me. There was a woman who didn't say anything, but she just reached out and she grabbed hold of Jesus' cloak. Every time Jesus responds. And I know we may not see that same immediate response in the same way today. But let's be open to the Spirit of God working in all sorts of ways to bring the kingdom of God into our lives, into our situations. I remember a time in my life, a time of, I guess, real sadness. And I'm sure you can identify with this as well. A real time of sadness. But that sadness wasn't removed from my life. It remained in my life. I didn't suddenly wake up one day full of the joys of spring. And and over a long period of time, every day seemed pretty hard work. Every day seemed like it was, you know, hard going. And actually nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew anything at that time. It wasn't like something had happened and everybody knew. But during that time, I said, I just opened to God to let God's kingdom come into my situation. I received like words of kindness, cards of encouragement that just seemed to fit into what I was going through at the time. Scriptures and the Bible just came, became a source of real strength. And it was God's kingdom pervading my kingdom at that time. And no, it wasn't in the way I wanted. No, it wasn't an a, a instant fix, a great solution, ultimately how I would have planned it to be. But just being open to say, God, let your kingdom come in whatever way it might be to help me in my kingdom right now. And when we pray this prayer, God, let your kingdom come, I think it can be a real cry of our hearts to God who listens and a real cry to say, God, I really need you right now. I really need your kingdom to come and overshadow my kingdom. And I guarantee you guys, whatever you are going through, when we look at those examples, whether it's you're weary, you're tired, you're stressed out, it's painful, it's hurtful, it's difficult, whatever the problem, Jesus has taught us to pray, God, let your kingdom come. And as we do that, God can move in. God can move in with his kingdom power 
and change our situations. Maybe some of us really need to hear that today. And I think that's one part. I think there's another part as well to this. And I think it's this, that when we pray your kingdom come, perhaps it's asking for God's kingdom to come into the kingdoms we inhabit, the areas of influence, our workplaces, our homes, our friendship groups, our church community, our families, whatever it might be, asking that the culture of heaven come into our culture, that the principles and the values of the kingdom of God come and pervade our kingdoms that we are a part of here on earth. Kingdoms that I bet we find ourselves in are often full of greed, full of hate, selfishness, suffering, many, much of the time. But that God would inject his kingdom principles into that. Values, values of equality, of love, of mercy, of selflessness, of compassion. God, let your kingdom principles and values come into the places that I find myself in every day. The, the people groups I find myself in. The situations that I'm in. You know, David Cameron recently spoke about the need for people of different ethnicities um, who'd come to live and settle in Britain to adopt the British culture. I don't know whether you saw that, you read it in the newspapers. And he wasn't saying it in a racist way, not in an exclusive way, but in a way that says we want to maintain our British culture. What does he mean by that? I think he was talking about upholding British values. What does it mean to be British? I'm smiling because I'm looking at Alex at the back there and I'm just thinking, this is, this is what I teach in my GCSE course. What does it mean to be British? <laughs> Alex has got the answers there at the back. What does it mean to be British? It, you know, it's not just about the things we wear. It's not about drinking tea. It's not about your passport being stamped British. But it's celebrating the values that we stand for as British people. The values of freedom, the values of equality, the values of democracy. And if you're going to live in this culture, in our British culture, David Cameron was saying, then you have to abide by these values. There's countries around the world today that don't hold to democracy, that don't hold to religious freedom, that don't hold to equality of women. And David Cameron was saying, if you are going to come in, then we, those values is what makes us British, and you have to adopt those. And I think it's the same with the culture and the principles of heaven, of God. When we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, we're saying to God, let the culture of heaven, the principles and values you stand for, God, may they come here on earth. May they come into the kingdoms that we are in every day, into our personal, individual kingdoms. This prayer is dangerous because as we pray that, as we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, then it's our responsibility. As we say, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying, God, make sure we as your church here bring your kingdom on earth not a kingdom of rules but a kingdom of peace of love of kindness of concern of forgiveness of patience of compassion of justice of equality we're to reflect the kingdom principles just as david cameron wants people living in britain to adopt british values god wants us to adopt kingdom values we are his representatives it's brilliant to hear dave speaking today of what he's doing over in the UK. Going into places, being a representative for God, bringing kingdom values into the places that he goes. What an amazing thing to do. And we have that same responsibility. It starts with us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What are we going to do about that? It's easy to look at the state of the world and cry out for God to come and change it, but we are the change, aren't we? It's brilliant, that, that, the um, Matt Redman uh, clip that we watched. 
Yeah, we are the ones to make the difference, to change things. How can we do that? We can go on the 27th of February and download that song. That's about making a difference, isn't it? We are the ones that carry the kingdom of God and his principles and values. This was the main teaching theme of Jesus. This was the heartbeat of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. The Hebrew and the Greek words for kingdom mean rule and reign. Not so much the realm, not so much a, a geographical location. But it talks about God's rule, God's command. It's about rule and influence. And the church, which is amazing, is the primary agent for the kingdom of God. God can extend his kingdom in all sorts of ways. Sometimes he will individually just intervene into people's lives. Sometimes God will whisper. Sometimes God will shout, maybe through creation, in loads of different ways. But the main method he chooses to extend the kingdom is through the visible working model of the church. So we live. So as we live and we announce there's a new rule to live under, we have the ability which is a big responsibility to either draw people to God or make people run from God. I'm sure I've done both, depending on how we demonstrate the kingdom and the principles of God. We are carriers of the kingdom. We either represent it really well or not so great, depending on what day I'm having. It will depend on that. But we have an influence. All of us do. We can leave a great impression, a lasting impression of good or bad, whatever it is, but we represent God's kingdom. We are to model humility, mercy, forgiveness, principles of God. Yes, we're to announce the good news, but more importantly, we are to demonstrate it. The echo of God's heart for social justice. As we begin to express the values of the kingdom, it's then that the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, they suddenly realise that they find themselves blessed in Jesus' new order of things. They were outcasts, they were rejects before Jesus, but Jesus comes and says, no, it's about the kingdom of God, it's about the principles, the values of the kingdom of God. And it's for you, it's for you. As we pray, your kingdom come. We suddenly begin to see what church is really all about. Contrary to our ideas at times that church is here for us to meet our needs, actually it's here to serve God and to serve his purposes. We pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let us be salt. Let us be light in this world, transforming our environment for God. There's one great example. There's many great examples, but there's one I want to pick up on in the Bible about someone who entered a kingdom that was alien to her. And that's Esther. She goes into this king's kingdom, this Jewish woman, and finds herself in a very strange environment. And she is the one that has to stand up for the Jewish people. She's the one that has to do the brave, courageous thing and make a difficult decision to stand up for God and God's principles. We're called to do the same. She was from a different kingdom, but she became influential in the kingdom that God had placed her in. It says in Esther chapter 4, um, this is to Esther, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance shall arise from the Jews from elsewhere, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows, but you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and for this very occasion. Maybe we have been placed in our kingdoms for such a time as this, for such an occasion, wherever we might find ourselves. The kingdom of, um, that Esther found herself in, 
in chapter 1 was one where money was used to win and influence people. Materialism was displayed in a way that it was what people saw that mattered. Self-control was out, indulgence was in, sexual immorality was acceptable. This was the kingdom she was in, probably much like our kingdoms today sometimes where we are. She was called to be in that kingdom. The Bible reminds us in Romans, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Some people think we live by the standards of this world. But though we're in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. And Esther was positioned in her kingdom. And God had placed her there. And God has placed us in our kingdoms, in our areas as well. And she was there to influence for good. And we too are there to influence for good. You know, we're there to reach our goals. Yes, we all have personal goals and names. And we're in these groups and friendship groups and places of work for lots of reasons. But ultimately, we're there representing Jesus. You are where you are to stand for God and bring the kingdom principles and values into that place, just like Esther was. And God had given Esther the responsibility because it said, you know, Esther, if you remain silent at this time, if you remain silent, it was an option. She didn't have to speak out and stand up for the Jews. She could have remained silent. And you know what? We have a choice in our kingdoms, our responsibility, that we can remain silent. We cannot speak up for God and the kingdom principles. But you know, when you look in the Bible and you look at the people who remain silent, they always regret it. Adam didn't tell his wife to drop the fruit. Job doesn't speak up against his children's immorality. Eli's sons were wicked. They didn't listen to him. As a result, God removed them because Eli couldn't communicate. You find when people don't speak up, there's a regret there. And we are in our kingdoms to be different, to be salt and light, to stand up for the principles and the values of God. We are as a church here in Guernsey to stand up for the principles and values of God. I want to read you a quick little story about a prison in Argentina. A few years ago, there was a prison of 2,700 inmates. It was the largest maximum security prison. It was totally out of control. There was not a single Christian on the premises. There was male prostitution, murder, rioting. Mafia bosses, drug dealers and gangsters had the run of the place. There was so much evil that there was even a church of Satan operating daily. There were animal sacrifices on a weekly basis. Some people reported that even demons materialised and walked around. In the city nearby, a pastor committed a crime and he was sentenced to serve time in the jail. And the pastor repented and cried out to God, God, would you give me a second chance? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And the Lord forgave him, filled him with his Holy Spirit. But now the pastor had nothing to lose. He began to drive himself into the church of Satan and into the mafia circles and amongst the gangsters to share the good news of Jesus with tremendous boldness. At the same time as this was happening, another pastor applied for a job in the prison. But the place was so evil that all three officials who interviewed him each told him basically the same thing. We don't want you here. We hate you. Uh, and if you get this job, we'll kill you. But he got the job. Now, with one Christian in the cells and one Christian in administration, they began to pray. And one of the first things they prayed for was time on the prison radio. Eventually, they got an hour and a half each week. It may not sound like much, but this radio station broadcast to a captive audience. You couldn't move the dial. You couldn't turn down the volume. You couldn't throw out the speakers. As these two men prayed and the gospel was pumped into the prison, men came to the Lord. Then persecution of the Christians began. However, Christians discovered they could apply for protection under the Constitution. 
And the jail had five stories and it was organised into cell blocks of 42 inmates each. And the Christians said, we need a cell block of our own so that all Christians can be together. And they were given the very worst cell block on the fourth floor. The Church of Satan, the Mafia, the gangsters and the drug dealers lived there. Nevertheless, the Christians moved in and formed a church. They recognised a pastor and set aside elders. They then divided themselves into seven teams of six men. One team was to be on duty each night from 11 to 5. Two read the Bible, two prayed, and others, the other two went around praying for their fellow inmates and interceding before God to bless them. After two hours, the pairs would switch roles. They did such an excellent job that today over 1,500 of the inmates are born-again Christians. Two people, two Christians, in their kingdom, in an environment that is completely alien to them, bring about the kingdom of God into that place, the principles, the values of the kingdom of God. If we remain silent, God will find someone else. But you know what? I don't want to be someone who's not available for God. It said to Esther, you know, if you stay silent, you and your family will perish. If we stay silent, it won't go unaffected. Something will happen. And we as a church, we need to be speaking up for the kingdom of God, principles and values. And it's scary. It's not easy to pray that prayer. God, let your kingdom come into the places we find ourselves in when we recognise it's our responsibility. But God will strengthen us. God strengthened Esther. Esther prayed and she fasted and she was strengthened by God. And we too can be strengthened by God in the places that we find ourselves in. So as we pray this prayer, this amazing prayer that Jesus taught the disciples and taught us, as we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to think when we pray that, what does it really mean? What does it mean for us? I think first of all it means this, that for some of us, we really need God's kingdom to overshadow ours. We really need a touch of God in our lives and in our situations. Our kingdom may be hard. It may be painful. It may be stressful. It may be sinful. And we need to say, God, let your kingdom come in my kingdom. And God will move. Let's believe for that divine exchange. But the second part, I think we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let's not forget the responsibility that we have as Christians to bring about God's principles and values into the places we go day by day. How are we at being God's representatives? Do we draw people to Christ? Do we make them run? May we show God's kingdom principles, values to others. Show them forgiveness, show them grace, show them compassion and mercy and kindness, humility and peace and joy. Let's bring those kingdom ideals into the places we go. Let me finish with this. When Jesus taught his followers, he recast an ancient God-given vision. He called it the kingdom of God. He spoke of it like a son returning home, like a man helping a stranger on the street like a seed that grows into a tree. The kingdom was not to be about rules or regulations or codes. It was all about justice. It was all about equality. It was all about compassion. It was all about grace, all about mercy and all about love. It was all about union with God. As we know, the kingdom may not be here yet, And though it may seem far off, Jesus said the kingdom was near. It's at hand. In fact, 
We're called to be builders of the kingdom of God. So let's start building. Build it by rejecting the idea that poverty is inevitable. Build it by deciding that living water is not just spiritual. Build it so discrimination is only found in history books. Build it by loving your enemies. The kingdom of God is not a new church. The kingdom of God is not a new program. The kingdom of God is not a new campaign. It's not a new organisation. The kingdom of God is not a new trend. The kingdom of God is not a business. It's not a political party. Building the kingdom will not be easy. It will not be simple. It will not be quick. But it will make us alive. So may we go and make it happen. May we pray, hope, dream, care, work, laugh, love and build. And may we all see the kingdom come. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship group to come. Let's just pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you for this beautiful prayer that you have placed in your word. Thank you for what it means to us. Thank you that there's so much depth to it. And Lord, I pray that the next time we pray this prayer, we might remember what that line, your kingdom come, is all about. Lord, may we know that your kingdom come means that actually, God, you will touch our lives where we need it most. That you will overshadow, that you will intervene into our kingdoms that are sometimes so full of hurt, so full of pain, so full of suffering, so full of sin. But God, you promised to come and give that divine exchange. So may we remember that when we pray. And Lord, may we too be people who bring your kingdom principles and values into the places we go, the places we live, the places we do life. And may we as a church remember what's really important about standing up for the things that mean the most to you. God, we want to be a church that shows principles and values of kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven. May we do that, Lord, as we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Thank you, Jesus. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.